Okay, just a quick question. How, how, many, how many people like watching the Olympics like I do? I mean, it's like I get home at night. I'm Anybody else? Okay, some of you don't care the Olympics are on. But for me, I'm like badminton, yes. It's like once every four years I'm watching things I never would watch. Am I, anybody else like that? I mean, I'm like, did anybody see the diver from China who got three tens? I'm like, that's great. She's 14 and she got 10 that's never been done before. I'm like, what do you, where do you go in life from there? You're, 10, you're 14. I mean, it's pretty amazing. But I think one of the things I like about the Olympics, of course, is hearing the stories of the athletes. You hear that? Because sometimes, you know, I'm just rooting for people because they got the right shirt on, right? You know what I mean? USA, USA. And I'm just behind them. But then every once in a while you hear these stories of people and you're like, well, now I'm kind of rooting for them too because of their story and, and what you hear behind it. And it's pretty incredible to think about some of, some of these people will work for four and five years to, to shave a second off of a time. Or, or they'll work for four and five years to lift five more pounds or, or to, throw, to throw something this much further. I mean, it's just, it's crazy when you think about the discipline and the effort and the thing that goes into this. And I love that, you know, Paul in writing in scripture often uses some of these analogies to sports and specifically even to like track and field events. And so it's wonderful sometimes to, to be able to see these things playing out in front of us and to be able to think, man, what effort went into these athletes and what discipline and what care and, and everything that they were doing is focused on a moment. And it really is parallel to the example that we should have in our faith as a believer in Christ. That we, we come to the place where we understand that everything that we're doing, everything that we put in our bodies, everything that comes out of our mouth, everything that we choose to do when we wake up in the morning and when we live our days out are for a greater purpose and a bigger goal than, than just living for the day. And, and we see it and, and we celebrate it in, in the Olympics. And, and, and like I said, I, I can get excited about badminton. I'm like, who gets excited about badminton? But you're watching this and you're like, this is pretty incredible to see these people with these skills. But, but God wants us to have that type of effort in our faith as well. And I believe scripture is clear about this, that when we, when we learn to make an effort like that in our faith, then we're going to see some pretty incredible things begin to happen in life. We've been in this series for the summer talking about what it means to be the church. We've been using the book of Philippians as our guide for this. And the reason so is because Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he's telling them, good job, keep it up. If I were to just kind of summarize it very quickly, that, man, your partnership in the ministry is making a difference in my life, and it's making a difference in others. Keep up the good work. Uh, beware that people are going to try to tear your good work down. You have to stay together. You need to consider others as better than yourselves. You need to have the mind of Christ. You need to follow the example of the right type of people, and you just need to, to keep doing things. And then last week we began in chapter 3. And what's unique for us in chapter 3 of Philippians is that we begin to see a little bit of Paul's life. Because I don't know how you are. Sometimes I think when I read Scripture... Every once in a while, I have this tendency to just go to this place where I go, well, yeah, but that was Paul, you know. And, and I kind of have this imaginary pedestal that I put Paul on, and I go, well, he's Paul, you know, or that's Jesus, or that's 
Peter or that's one of the disciples. And you go, I, I couldn't do that. But we get a, a wonderful glimpse in chapter 3 that Paul is in the middle of this book. He's saying, here's all the things I want to encourage you as a church to do. And here's how you should live. And then he tells us, and here's how he's trying to do this in his life as well. You see, what we've been looking at in this Be the Church series is just some, some simple truths that if we're going to be the church, we're going to pray for our partners. That's an example that we see in Scripture that Paul is saying, man, I'm praying for you. You're praying for me. We should be praying for one another. So that's what it should look like. A church should be praying for one another. We see that a church should be about advancing the gospel, uh, not asking questions about how do we take care of ourselves, but asking questions about how do we advance the gospel. What is it that, that God's calling me to do to make his name great and to make him known? And, and where is it in my life that I can be advancing the gospel? We, we've looked at the fact that we need to be present in people's lives, not, not just talking about, hey, I'm at church, but, but I believe, we talked about this just a little bit last week, I believe sometimes if we're not intentional and if we're not careful, we begin to buy this brand of Christianity that says, well, I'm a great Christian as long as I attend the right events. But Christianity is not about attending, it's about being present, it's about relationships, it's about building relationships with one another. So when we're saying be present, we're talking about building the types of relationships in other people's lives where they know that you're a person of integrity and someone that can be counted on and that you have those type of relationships as well in other people. And we talk about living in unity. Now, obviously we have different gifts, different preferences, different backgrounds, different things, but we need to be unified in the vision and in the cause of Christ. And that's what it means to be the church. And Paul writes about all of these things. And he gives us the example of, of Timothy, a partner in, in ministry. And he gives us the example of Epaphroditus as a partner in ministry. But then we get this glimpse into his walk with Christ. Because Paul is basically telling us this, that his goal is the same as everybody else's goal. He's not Paul and I've got to do something different and all you other people have to do this. No, the goal is the same. My goal is to move to maturity. Your goal is to move to maturity. What does maturity mean? It means that we continue to take in the things of God. We put them into our hearts and into our minds and we begin to live those out. That's maturity. The ability to take the words of God to put them in my life, to process them in such a way that I now live them out. That's maturity. And this is what Paul is saying. That is his continuing goal. Look at Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Paul's writing about himself, saying, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. 
For I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Paul is saying, my goal is the same as your goal, is we're moving toward maturity. Paul is saying, I have not reached it yet. I'm still working on it. I'm still trying to get there myself. We're trying to get there together. Paul is not saying that he is different, that he is above, that he is separated. He's saying, I'm in the same boat that you are. We're all working together to try to reach this life that God has for us. But there's an amazing thing. Perhaps you're unfamiliar with the person of Paul in Scripture. Perhaps you're very familiar with him. But if you're unfamiliar, there's, there's something that he says that is actually quite astonishing. And, and the thing that he says in the midst of this, of this passage, he says, forgetting what is behind and reaching for what is ahead. Can I ask you a question just to think about? Do you have times in life that your past likes to rise up and remind you it's there? That, that your past just likes to, to maybe come alongside and go, hey, looks like you're doing pretty good, but just remember... You did this, you were that, you said that, these things are here. I think all of us have those moments where we, we can hear these words and we go, man, wouldn't that be great? Just forget what is behind and move forward with what's ahead. But, but here's the truth about me. There's some things in my past that I've done that have hurt people. There's some things in my past that I've done that have consequences to them. There's some things in my past that I've done that, that shape the direction of my life moving forward. So what exactly is Paul talking about? If you're not familiar with Paul, here's a little, here's a little history lesson about him. Paul, before he became a follow, follower of Christ, was a persecutor of Christians. He traveled around seeking those who claimed to follow Christ out. He would put them in jail. He would kill them. He would persecute them in any way he can. And so you come across this sentence and you go forgetting what is behind and pressing forward to what is ahead. And you go, man, that's motivating, that's inspiring, that's big. But I look at it and I go, how? How? How in the world did you, did you put that? You must have an incredible capacity for compartmentalization, Paul. If you can just kind of go, I do that. But he tells us how. He tells us that it's because of the life that Christ has given him. We see throughout other writings in Scripture, it's because the old has gone and the new is here, that we are a new creation in Christ. Now, I think sometimes we get hurt, confused, struggle, because our past is right there with us. And if you know anything about Paul, you know that his past is actually right there with him as well. But he says what we have to do is we have to have such an intense focus on the goal that everything else fades away. The glory of this world and the pain of this world all fade away in the pursuit of the things of God. 
That's what he's saying. And so I'm just going to go ahead and be the first to stand in line and go, that's hard. It's hard. It it might make a great T-shirt that we can all wear and go, that's an inspiring phrase. Let's do that. But living that out is hard. You know, you, if, if you familiarize yourself with the story of Paul, you realize that not only did his past haunt him, his past followed him around for a little bit. <laughs> People are like, hey, Paul's in town. Would you like to meet with him? No, thank you. I know the person that he used to be. I know the stuff that he did. Hey, Paul's over here doing this. Would you like, mm-mm, no. And, and can I just tell you something? It's, it's been said about me before. It's been said probably about you before. Hey, so-and-so's here. Would you like to do it? Nope. No, I don't. I've been hurt, I've been wounded, the type of person that they are, I don't know. But Paul's saying that there's got to be something greater. And so our focus is on Christ alone. And here's, here's what it requires. It requires effort. It requires effort. To, to be the church, to have the life that Christ wants you. And, and, and I say this with all the love in my heart because I want this for myself and I want this for you. It's worth doing the work. If I can watch an athlete discipline their body to shave one second, a tenth of a second for five years off of time, then how much more important is it for me to do the effort for my faith to be that much stronger and that much greater? This is the image that we need to have. If we're going to make that type of effort, he, he, if you will, gives us a path for that in these words. One of the first things that he shows us is that if we're going to make these types of effort, the first thing that we have to do is we have to admit that I'm not all I could be. We have to come to the place where we admit that I'm not all I could be. And the truth is some of us are missing out on life because we've settled. And we've said, this is good enough. And we work very hard to protect our good enough. Some of us have learned how to function so well in our dysfunction, we don't even want to fix it anymore. We just go, I'm comfortable knowing how this works. But Paul's saying, look, I continue to strive for something greater in Christ. I realize what's behind me. I know what I've done. I'm working on that. I'm doing the right things, but I'm doing that with this in mind, all that Christ wants me to be. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Now there is the clue for all of us. It's not by our effort that we become saved, clean, right. Our effort is a result and a response to the fact that Christ Jesus has taken hold of our life. And therefore now there is nothing else in this life that is more important than the fact that Christ alone has taken hold of me. And it's because of the fact that Christ has my heart that then I now make every effort to strive to live the life that he wants me to live. To give a little bit more of a description of how difficult this is, Paul gives us another glimpse into his life in the book of Romans. I'm going to read just a little bit out of Romans 7 and 8. He says this, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God. But with my flesh, the law of sin. 
But therefore now there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul is describing a battle that happens in my mind, a battle that happens in your mind, and a battle that happened in his mind, but that the enemy wants to convince you that you're the only one that thinks that way. And you're the only one that deals with that. And you know, now that you're a Christian, you shouldn't have that stuff anymore. You must not be a very good Christian because you still do these things. Paul himself is going, I know in my mind what I want to do, but I also understand in my flesh what happens in this great struggle. And he gives glory to God saying there's no condemnation now in Christ Jesus. In Romans 5.8, he tells us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so God has not come to condemn us. God's come to save us from exactly that, that struggle that goes on to say, I wish I could be good enough. I wish I could build enough. I wish I could have these things. But you realize it doesn't matter. All you could do is going to add up to be short of the glory of God. And so he says it's only because of Christ Jesus that we can find this life. And that's why he continues to say, I leave what's behind behind and I press forward because now my singular focus is God and God alone. It's not status. It's not position. It's not recognition. It's not retirement. It's nothing. It is Christ and Christ alone. And that's where he is. And that takes effort. And that type of effort that we have to just... Let everything else go and focus solely in on Christ is difficult, but it's worth it. And maybe one way to think about it is this way. Pursue what is next. Pursue what is next. Can, can I go ahead and take a, take a side note here? Are we all going to have to deal with things that we have done? I'm just going to make sure you're awake. Yes, we are. Because I promise you, that Paul had work to do to make things right with people. We don't get to just go, ooh. Look at the carnage that I left behind. Oh, God, forgive me. Okay, I'm just going to move forward now. It, it does not work that way. When you've hurt someone, you've hurt them. And hurt requires healing. And healing requires time and requires effort. You have to do something about it. But, but the truth of here is that we do this with a, with a goal of what is next. Because when we keep our mind on what is next, then we're willing to let go of our pride. We're willing to let go of our arrogance. We're willing to let go of, of embarrassment or anything else because we're so focused on what is next that what we're having right now really is insignificant. You see, our priorities change when we become a follower of Christ. We, as a follower of Christ, we should not have similar priorities with the culture. I'm just saying. If you want me to be even more blunt, you can get your stones ready. The American dream is nowhere in this book. And, and it's something that we may have all bought into. And Do I love being an American? Praise God. I love being American. Am I thankful for everyone who sacrifices for this country? I am. My own family has done that. I am proud of the country that I live in, but I realize that my citizenship is not of this world. And that our, our country is a blessing for all of us for a time, but it's not permanent, but the kingdom of God is. And so we have to keep that in perspective. I'm going to go ahead and lean on into this. I already said it. And if that offends you, you got some praying to do. Because it's one of the tactics that the enemy's using right now is lean on into that patriotism all you want because that's a false God. You pray for our president. You pray for our leaders. 
You serve people. You love people. You protect our country. You do what you can, but you remember your citizenship is in heaven. And that's what Paul is saying. I have to move on to what's next. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue my goal as the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He says in the book of Colossians, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's life. Not on your outline, but the words of Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. There's something all throughout Scripture that points us to a life that is greater than the one that we can see, feel, touch, and experience right now. And it doesn't mean that we hate the things of this life, all of them. It means that we keep our focus on the things of God and we realize the the temporal nature of the things that God has given us right now. And we love those blessings and we thank God for those blessings and, and, and we love and serve others through those blessings, but our mind is set on things above. And, and the way that we begin to do that is we put ourselves in a position where we begin to live out this truth instead of the truth of the culture around us. We live out God's truth. That is what it means to make every effort, living out God's truth. Look at what he says. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal that to you also. In any case, look at this phrase, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. I want to just focus in on that that little phrase there for just a minute. I want to live up to whatever truth we've attained. You see, here's another thing that I have a tendency to do at times. I look at Jesus or I look at Paul and maybe put them on an imaginary pedestal that I have there. But I also do that with people. I sometimes look at people and go, man, I wish I can't be like that person. Man, you just think about what they have and... And, and what they are, and I don't know how to get there. I'm not that smart, or I don't understand that, or I haven't walked with Christ, whatever excuse I want to make. But here's what the truth of God's word is telling us. Live up to whatever truth you've already attained. What does that mean? If you know one of God's commands, do that one. If you know two of God's commands, do both of them. If you know 10 of them, work all 10 of those in. If you know more of God's truth, live that out. If you've been following Christ for a minute, then keep going. If you've been following Christ for a decade, then keep going. If you've been following Christ for a millennium, then keep going. He's saying, take the truth that you have and begin to live these things out. And as you live this truth out and you just keep going, then God will slowly help you move away from the things of this world and keep your focus solely on him. And it's found in living out God's truth. Jesus' words to his disciples, John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you have trouble memorizing scripture, that one's pretty short. You can do that one. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. That's what Jesus, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And so this is what he's saying. Now some of us hear that, and just because of the way that we're wired, I'm like, I don't want you telling me what to do, God. 
But yet, that's where we find life, is by following his commands. We don't buy into the things of this world, no matter how horrible they are, or no matter how wonderful they are, we leave those behind and we keep our focus on Christ. And that's when we begin to find life, when we live out his truth. I love the way the psalmist puts it, Psalm 119.11, I have treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Guys, I love you. And I work hard on keeping you awake during these sermons. And I work hard on delivering the truth of, of this book. I really do but I'm not enough. I'm nowhere near enough. If you are not making every effort on your own to take God's truth and put it in your life as well, then you're, we're gonna fall way short on living these things out. I mean, 20 minutes from me, every time that you, sh you show up, depending on how consistently that is, that, that's, that's a rough way to live a Christian life and to live these truths out. God, God wants, to, wants us to find the life that can be found in living his, his truth out and not buying into all the other truths that compete for our attention in this world. So live out what you know. Start there. And then pursue knowing more. And just keep that cycle going, and that's what Paul is saying. That's how you make that effort. And then I love this, this other thing. He wants us to learn from one another. He wants us to learn from others. Because sometimes when I see this, this phrase, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have us in. I mean, that's a pretty amazing statement. But I think about all of the things in life that I now know how to do, and I wouldn't know how to do any of them if someone had not taught me. And one of the great ways that people have taught me is do what I do, do what I do, do what I do, do what I do. Watch, do this, watch, do this, watch, do this. And so that's another thing that just bubbles up in my heart about the difference between coming to church and being the church. If we just attend church and we hear from someone else all the time, it's hard to do what they do because all you ever see of me is this. That ain't much. But if we're going to figure this life out together, we've got to realize that God's given us one another. And one of the great ways that I've learned to walk in my Christian walk is not just the truth of God, but then seeing others live out that truth. And coming to that place where I go, man, I wish I had compassion like this person. I wish I had patience like this person. I wish I had generosity like this person. Because as we all strive for this together, we see that example from one another. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, join in imitating me. But he goes on to say, not just in me, pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Paul's saying that we've been given one another to learn from and to find this, this way of making this effort to live out our faith. And so that's what we want to do is learn from others. The psalmist writes, how happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And so when you find those people who are walking in the ways of the Lord, then imitate that. I promise you, if you imitate me in some areas, you will draw closer to the Lord. Now, is that your arrogant statement of the day or what? I also promise you I'm not perfect. You follow me closely enough, you'll find plenty of things you go, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> I get that. But that's why I have a one another in my life too, so that we can all strive for this together. Because 
Just like Paul said, not that I've already reached the goal, not that we've attained it, but I press on in this. And so the bottom line, if we're going to do this, it's, it's going to come down to this. Trust God. Trust God. That sweet baby needs to trust God, Holly. That's what she needs to do. I can do that with Holly because she knows I love her. And she's no, she'll post that on Facebook later and I'll get it back in, in these forms. So, We trust God. Here's the bottom line of this. I will tell you this. Every crisis that we have about living out God's truth, and you're going to think I'm oversimplifying this, but I challenge you to think about this and let me know if it's different. It comes down to this. Do I trust God's way or do I trust my way? That's it. You can boil it all down to that. Am I going to trust that I'm going to do this God's way or am I going to trust that I'm going to do this my way? Paul writes, my, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Now, here's, here's what's happening. As a follower of Christ, I have come to the place in my life where I confess that I am a sinner in need of a savior. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross, was buried in a tomb, and three days later he rose from that grave, he overcame sin, and he overcame death. And I believe that that makes him Messiah and Savior and Lord. And so I have come to the place in my life that I say, God, I believe you. And I want to live my life to follow that. And I am doing everything that I understand and know how to strive to live that. And I understand that things are working against me, but I'm trying to live in that way. And so the more that I see God's truth in my life conflicting with some of the things that I'm doing, I, every time I go, God, just help me to trust you. I don't understand how this is going to work, but help me to trust you. God, help me see these things. Because what I believe is happening is what Paul just described. Is that my life is not going to end at my final breath. That I am going to live in eternity. And that the choices that I make in this life is going to determine how I live in my eternity. And I believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, because I am pursuing him with all that I have, that he is right now transforming me into his likeness. And I want to live in this life trying to help him out in that as much as I can. Striving and making every effort just to shave one more second off or just to lift five more pounds or just to throw it that much further in my faith. And that as I do that and God continues to work in me, that then when this final breath is taken, God will continue to do his work and he will transform me into his likeness. And I will spend eternity with him in heaven. And I believe that with all of my heart. And so I realize that the more that I lean into that, the less important the things in this life become. And that's what Paul is saying. Yeah, Paul has a past. Yeah, Paul has things he needs to do, but he's going to lean into this future and trust the Lord in that. In Proverbs, it says it this way, trust the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, in all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. And that's what Paul is writing. I haven't already gotten there. I'm not all that. You may look at me and go, ooh, that's Paul, but I'm not all there. I am striving to do this. And I'm doing this with baggage from the past, and I'm doing this with hurt and pain, and I'm doing this with trying to encourage. But what helps me with all of these things is I am just laser focused on the person of Jesus Christ. And if God tells me to live something out, I do it. 
If God tells me to do this, I do it. If God tells me to forgive this, I forgive it. If God tells me to humble myself, I humble myself. If God tells me to step over here, I step. If God tells me to jump, I say how high. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's what we're talking about is what Paul has realized, that life comes from there. The person and the pursuit of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to bow our heads this morning.